0: Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Radio Astronomy's Guide to the Best Things to See in the Night Sky in July 2021. I'm News Editor, Ezie Pearson, and I'm joined on the podcast today by Reviews Editor, Paul Money, who's going to be telling us the best sites to catch this month. So, Paul, what are your recommendations for July 2021?
1: Well, it's funny, you know, we always think of the summer months being quiet and not really doing anything and that it's too light to do anything at all. And uh, it couldn't be further from the truth, to be honest. Um, yes, deep sky suffers because of the light nights. That, that is a given. And so that's why a lot of amateurs actually spend the, spend the months in the summer cleaning equipment and getting it all ready for the winter season. That sort of thing. We're talking about winter, good grief. It's only July. Uh, but, uh, so, but the thing is, there is a lot up there you can still see. I mean, the Moon's an obvious target for a start. And obviously, it passes a lot of the planets. And there, of course, obvious targets as well. The bright naked eye ones can still be observed uh, with a telescope. And there's uh, lots of little events involving those conjunctions, etc. And I always think that, well, you know, the double stars, the stars are all right. It's single stars. They're point sources. So, uh, I mean, just the other night, so we were into late June now as we're recording this, and I was out looking at double stars with my Equinox 80, a little, nice little refractor, and uh, I was having a whale of time looking at loads of double stars, even though the sky was actually quite light. And I wouldn't—I looked at a few galaxies, and they were, they were barely there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that really sort of underlies the fact that, you know, something that's diffuse... Is, it struggles. But when you've got pinpoint sources such as stars, star clusters are another one. You know, a lot of the bright star clusters are still accessible. And uh, a lot of the brighter globular clusters as well, they actually aren't too bad in the light nights. So there is actually still quite a lot you can do in July. Um, but obviously the, the brightest ones are when associated with planets and the moon, uh, things like that. So that's what we'll concentrate on here.
0: Mm. So your recommendations are planets, uh, double stars and globular clusters. But as you said, planets are the easiest thing to see. I mean, theres I can't count the number of times that I've just glanced up at the night sky and seen something really bright in the night sky and gone like, oh, that must be Venus or Jupiter or Mars. Um, so what would be your recommendations for planets in
1: July? Well, as it comes, we've got Venus, <laughs> Venus is one of those planets. Its apparition hasn't been particularly good for us in the northern hemisphere for the last few months, uh, but it stubbornly refuses to go away. <laughs> it's, it's the way how it's moving along the ecliptic. The ecliptic is quite shallow, so it stays. A horizon hugging, as you might say, but it remains visible. And so, if you look down towards the like the sort the the horizon in the evening twilight, say about half an hour to an hour at most after sunset, then uh, you'll see hopefully, Venus. Now, the point about Venus is that, you know, it is bright, as you know, and so it's easier to spot than a lot of the other planets. The other all the really good ones are usually Jupiter, uh, and Mars at its best. We're well, talking about Mars. Venus and Mars during July converge and swap places, and Mars, again, has been with us a long time since last summer. You know, so, you know, we had a really good session with it last year, um, but Mars has been lingering, but Mars now loses the battle. It's dropping into the twilight and on the 12th they pass but just before that actually on July the 1st through to about the 3rd what you find is that Venus gives us a last chance to actually see a star cluster Messier 44 and I mentioned stars and they do stand out well but this is a real challenge I like challenges you know because often it's it's too easy to dismiss this oh you'll not see that it's in the bright twilight and yet I photograph clusters when they're low down in the twilight and it is possible so Venus around about the second to the third is really close to Messier 44 the beehive cluster but it's really low in bright twilight so It probably won't be visible, the cluster, but Venus is a guide, and this is what I love using the planets and the moon as a guide to find things that probably you'd miss uh, because they're being overwhelmed by the twilight. So that's the first thing to look out for. From the first to the third, uh, keep an eye on Venus as it creeps up and it passes the northern limit, actually, of the beehive cluster. Whether the cluster will be visible, well, that's up to you, but worth using binoculars and a small telescope uh, if you can. And to their left is Mars. Mars. And Mars is lingering. I say it's holding on, but it's losing the battle now. On the 11th to 12th, we have the Moon join them. Now, the moon is a slim crescent, and it really is a challenge to see it. You, you could try on the 10th. Pete actually mentions it in the magazine. He looks at slim crescent moons to see whether you could spot them, and the 10th is a real challenge. You know, the 11th will be a bit easier, but it'll be to the right of Venus, and again, Venus will help guide you to the crescent moon because when it's a th- really slim crescent, its it really gets lost in the twilight if you're mm. not careful. So, you know, Venus on the 11th, um, you'll find Venus, is to the left of the moon the moon is to the right of venus and to the left of venus will be a little dot which will be mars and say they're catching up and on the 12th mars and venus are in conjunction and so again venus will be your guide to spot mars because it is faint it's magnitude 1.8 and against a bright twilight that's a real challenge so this may be your last few chances to actually view mars before it's lost and emerges into the morning sky much later in the year And on a final one, on the 12th sort of thing, the the moon has swapped places. It was on the right-hand side of Venus as we looked at it. The next morning, or next evening, I should say, is on the actual left. And... It's a thicker crescent, so it becomes much more obvious to spot sort of thing. So that's in the evening sky. But we haven't quite finished with Venus because I mentioned Venus is a guide to objects you might miss normally. By the 21st, Mars, I suspect Mars will be gone. It's very, very difficult, very low down. It'll be to the lower right of venus on the 21st of july but on that day venus lies to the upper right of regulus now regulus is a bright star it's actually brighter than mars uh, at the moment because regulus is my, has magnitude 1.3 so it's technically brighter than mars so might be a bit easier so this is the last chance perhaps to see regulus this time but use venus as a guide so is great when we've got a nice bright planet to actually as a guide for us to get to some of these other objects and that's in the evening sky at the moment
0: so to go back over that that's the venus and the beehive cluster on the first and the third of july the crescent moon and venus accompanied by mars will be around on the 11th to the 12th and venus and regulus will be around on the 21st so hopefully one of those uh our viewers will be able to get out and go and see
1: um if we've got clear skies
0: if we've got clear skies which they have actually been pretty good lately so hopefully that'll carry on through the rest of the summer
1: I don't know whether other people find this, but I've been finding that, uh, the, that the rest of the sky is clear, and the one bit where you want is the horizon, and it's been cloudy. So, <laughs> so you know, it's what it's a battle, isn't it?
0: It's always the way, but hopefully, you know, as you'll be able to. There, there's a lot of opportunities there, so hopefully, listeners will be able to get out there and and see at least one of these. Um, especially as these are all relatively easy things to see. Are these all? naked eye objects,
1: aren't they? Um, Venus is naked eye, but you definitely will need binoculars or a small telescope to catch the other events as such. Mm. Um, and obviously, the Moon, when it's really, really slim, is actually quite difficult, so so binoculars will help there. Once it gets to the thicker crescent, say on the 12th, it'll be a lot easier to see with the naked eye, but uh, the 10th and the 11th might be easy to use binoculars to find it. You might see that once you've spotted it in binoculars, you'll see, it. you can put the binoculars down, always home in, and then just keep your gaze firmly fixed on those patch of sky and, and lower the binoculars. And sometimes you can actually spot the object because you're looking straight at it, you know, but otherwise it might be missed. So uh, yeah, but Venus definitely naked eye. Mm-hmm. So top tip there
0: on how to see a very thin crescent moon. I always think it, it's it's like that kind of you don't really think about the moon being difficult to see because it's always just so like you're it's the biggest and brightest thing in the night sky, isn't it? But sometimes it can actually be quite tricky.
1: True. Mm-hmm.
0: So, there's a lot going on with the planets. Uh, what else is going on in our night sky throughout July?
1: Well, if we like early mornings, and <laughs> this always makes me laugh because, you know. Summertime, we say, yes, we've got a chance to view something all night. Um, and the caveat, of course, is all night is actually quite a short night. So it's not, it isn't as dramatic as it sounds. It's not like winter, whereby you probably have about 18 hours of darkness. And so if you stay out all night, you'll be very, very tired indeed. Um, but all night during the summer sort of thing is a matter of just a few hours at most. Uh, so sort of 11 o'clock through till about two, half past two. And even by two o'clock, it's beginning to get light. But on the sixth, of July in the morning twilight, just before morning twilight starts, look over towards the east northeast into the eastern horizon and you'll see the crescent moon. And I get excited again by the crescent moon in this particular case because it's below the pleiades star cluster messier 45 and the reason why i get excited is it's back in the morning sky it's back <laughs> we've gone through sort of the the actual uh, conjunction with the sun so it's not visible at all so it means to me oh, i'm i'm sad really asy i have mm. to say because it means to me that the winter sky is on the way yeah <laughs> and, I, and I, uh, it sounds quite miserable we're in the summer sort of and everybody's enjoying the summer heat and the wonderful weather etc sort of thing and perhaps thinking about what summer holidays in in the uk they can probably do at the moment but you know it's me thinking of the darker skies are on the way i can see the pleiades at last once i see the pleiades and then a little bit later on the Hyades and aldebaran i know the winter sky is on the way back so i can keep a lookout for it and this is a gay case i say on the july of the 6th where you've got the crescent moon line this is the crescent moon on the other side of the sky of course on the morning sky uh so uh it'll be easily visible this crescent moon with the naked eye but uh, it'll be there below the Pleiades and if you leave it till about 3 a.m and a little bit later what you'll see is you'll see them rise together and then you'll notice the Hyades followed by Aldebaran actually rise as well and of course Aldebaran is the red eye of the bull Taurus the bull the constellation so uh, as I say, I use that as an indicator to think: yes, at last, summer's nearly over. I know it isn't, <laughs> but, but for my observing se- season, I know a lot of the autumn and winter sky is going to be available, sort of thing, quite soon to observe.
0: Because yes, while the the nights might still be very short in July, they are beginning to get longer as we had we've passed by the summer solstice on the twenty first of June, and the nights are slowly getting longer. Um, so. Whilst a lot of us might be outside still having our ice cream for astronomers at night, they are looking forward to the winter skies returning. So on the 6th of July, if you want to have a look at the crescent moon below the Pleiades in the morning, about 3am, that's the time you're going to have to set your alarm clock up to get and see that one. Uh, Are there any other meetings with the moon that might be interesting this month?
1: Well, um, Mercury is in the morning sky. So whilst you're up in the morning, it's worth keeping a lookout for Mercury because in actual fact, when the Moon is right next to or below the Pleiades on the 6th, a few mornings later, it's actually above Mercury. Now, Mercury is a bit of an oddity sort of thing because it has good apparitions in the morning as bad apparitions this one's a fairly average one sort of thing but it is visible sometimes they are really so horizon hugging that it you know it rises as the sun rises so it's useless you can't really see it but in this case you can actually catch mercury and the quirk here is that mercury is always brightest at the end of the apparition when it's in the morning sky so in actual fact it starts off faint um but The good news is we've got the crescent moon above Mercury. So when you look on the 8th, July the 8th, again, sort of around about, probably about four, four o'clock, half past four in the morning, watch out sort of thing for Mercury rising. And uh, basically, once you see the moon, look for a dot below the moon. And that dot will be Mercury. There'll be nothing else bright enough to be confused with in that area. But uh, once the moon moves away, Mercury remains in the morning sky. But it'll be very, very low, only a few degrees above the horizon. It's about three quarters of an hour before sunrise. But as I say, the advantage is it gets brighter during the course of of the actual month and so it should drop down below the horizon around about 24th 25th so from the 8th to the 24th you, you stand a good chance if you're an early morning person sort of thing to actually catch the inner planet uh so uh, and we've had the uh venus and mars uh, in uh, the evening sky and we've got mercury in the morning sky so uh, and i say on the 8th the moon, the crescent moon will be our guide for it, sort of. It'll guide you to Mercury. So, uh, and I, I love seeing Mercury. I missed it this last apparition when it was in the evening sky. I got it, well, I got it once, once in almost a month of attempts. That's why I say about the horizon, the cloud, it was a, a awful. But uh, I did catch it, but that was when it was relatively close to uh, Venus in the evening sky. So uh, I'm hoping to have a go in the morning. The only problem is I've got a very poor horizon, I have to say, uh, towards the northeast. I've got I've got a great bank that hides me from the industrial state, but it also hides me from the anything towards the horizon. Mm. So uh, I have to I have to bear that in mind as such. So I'd have to travel, I have to say, to do that. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you've never seen Mercury. You know, it's uh, it's worth it, and, and people do have. You know, they may come back from work, they may have late shifts, things like that. And I often get contacted by people to say, you know, what was that star I saw next to the moon when I walked home from work? You know, and and then I have to get them to tell me what time it is. <laughs> it's very <laughs> useful to. It's very useful to tell me what time is this? It could be evening, it could be, and but it's in the morning, and uh, I can tell them, oh yes, you, you've seen Mercury then, and they're excited because they've seen a planet they probably would never have even thought about, um, because. Mercury's got this myth that it's actually you know a difficult planet because it's always in the twilight and yet it is a naked eye planet you know the the ancients saw it with the naked eye although I bet they had better skies than we are (laughs) <laughs> the Probably they didn't have to t- <laughs> from... fight quite as
0: much light pollution back
1: then. Yes, and when we think about Egypt and even Greece, sort of thing, the angle of the ecliptic would be a bit steeper uh, uh with the horizon from their uh, latitudes. So that would actually give them a bit of a, an advantage, wouldn't it? But uh, you know, I get excited when I see Mercury because I, I like to tick it off my box once again. because I like to see it a few times a year, just to say yes, that year I did get. I don't want a year when I haven't seen Mercury. <laughs>
0: um... So this is obviously we're talking about from UK skies. Uh, we have quite a lot of listeners who are over in the US. Hello, if you're listening. Um, so if you're towards more of the south of the US, you might actually have a much better time seeing Mercury. So definitely for
1: those, keep an eye out for it. Definitely, yes. Oh, that's the advantage of the lower latitude sort of thing. You know, they get a better chance of seeing something like this. So their apparition would be a lot better than us.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh But yes, so that's on the 8th of July. Uh, Mercury will have its dates with the crescent moon, uh, but you can see it throughout the rest of the month, the planet, it just might take a bit of planning to make sure that you can see the horizon. Um, You might need to get away from trees and houses and stuff to be able to see down low enough. Well, it certainly sounds like there's a lot to see with the planets at the moment. Specifically,
1: we've been talking about the inner ones, but uh, how are the outer ones doing? Well, we've actually got a great chance here because as it happens, all the outer giant planets are actually spread out across the sky. We've got Saturn in Capricornus. We've got Jupiter and Neptune in Aquarius. And then we've got Uranus actually in Aries. And they're really spread right across the sky. And we actually have a chance roughly from about the 8th of July to the 20th, where you might be able to get, All the planets, all the official planets. Ah, you've got to feel sorry for Pluto, haven't you, sort of thing? But sorry, it's been demoted. So we're talking about the so called official planets now in the night sky. So if you catch Venus and Mars in the evening sky, you could do a planet marathon through the night. So you get them in the evening sky. So you get Jupiter, uh, Venus and Mars first. And then you've got Saturn and Jupiter well-placed sort of thing, rising later. But uh, they are now well-placed. They're up before 11 o'clock now uh, in the uh, sky. And then leave it a bit later sort of go on through till about 1 o'clock. You've got Neptune well up. And then give it another sort of like perhaps another hour. Um, you'll have Uranus and then if you wait until morning twilight you know be a real late nighter you'll get Mercury as well so you've got all the planets in this mm. period of time from the 8th to the 20th where you could observe all of them in sequence so I, I, I like to do that occasionally I don't do it all the time but I do like to do it occasionally it's like another tick box sort of thing yeah I've got all the planets tonight you yeah. know? and of course if you can see the horizon which you should be able to see the horizon you've got the earth as well people forget that <laughs> <laughs> You've <got> the, uh, <laughs> of course, yes, yeah, so you yeah. can do all
0: eight major planets all in one go. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: exactly. Sorry, <laughs> <And Joto>. sorry. <laughs> sorry during the time during that time of course the moon will be up a lot of that time as well sort of thing so uh you know so you could actually add the moon in so another planetary body really and planetary astronomers class the earth and moon as a double planet so you know you, you could be uh you could stretch the definition a little bit and say well you know the moon's a planetary body as well according to some mm-hmm. so uh tick that box off as well add that into the mix <laughs> yeah
0: it is worth noting that Some of those planets uh, are a bit trickier to see than others. Uh, Uranus and Neptune, you will definitely need a telescope to see. So you might need to do some research on that one if you do want to take part in the planetary parade and try and see all of the planets. Um, That's going on between the 8th of July and the 20th of July. So that's the eight major planets. But unfortunately, we did leave out Pluto. However, isn't that also going to be visible in the night sky? Well.
1: The various values are <laughs> visible. <laughs> yeah, yes, with the caveat, you, you do need a large telescope. Um, as it happens, Pluto reaches opposition on the 17th, and it's in Sagittarius. It's in a fairly bland area of sky, I have to say, but uh, above Omega Sagittarii. So the thing is, you do need a large telescope. You also need a good finder chart. Um, a lot of the planetarium software are absolutely brilliant for this sort of, because they can show stars as faint and fainter than Pluto and uh, you have to be careful in identifying it Um, but uh, I've been looking I have observed it several times over the last few years and uh, you know but it is a challenge I mean it's 14th magnitude this thing it's 14.3 on opposition Mm. night so which is pretty faint so it is not for the faint-hearted but it's definitely for a large telescope so a lot of people have got quite large dobsonians nowadays um so this is a good chance to test it out something but i have got friends who have seen it in an eight inch telescope where you have to have exceptionally good skies really dark skies for that uh, that helps and and again you really do need a good chart so you can work out which is the star which is pluto the best way is if you get a run of two or three nights and you can see it moving then and uh, when it comes up to opposition it is actually moving a reasonable amount so there will be something noticeable from day to day so we'll be able to take a, a, a either view it visually and watch the change in position against the background stars but as i say they will be faint stars so that's the key with it you know you need a, a good light grasp sort of thing to actually pick out pluto but um, yes it, you know it's another one you can tick off your little box sort of thing uh, if you've never bothered with pluto because opposition is really the best it's at its brightest although <laughs> brightest is a bit of a misnomer, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to be using binoculars on this unless you've got a really whacking great giant binocular telescope. Yeah, there's um, a, but, a reason
0: uh, why Pluto wasn't <clears throat> discovered until 1930s when all of the others were much, much earlier than
1: that. <laughs> yes, and of course, the vast majority are naked eye or very quickly discovered, as you say. So Uranus, Uranus is just about naked eye. I have seen it with a naked eye, but again, you need exceptional conditions. Binoculars and a telescope are better. To, to pick out, as you say, Uranus and Neptune, but definitely a large telescope for poor Pluto. Um, but, uh, you know, but it, it, again, it's it's just to the right of actually M75. And over the next few years, it's creeping ever closer to that globular cluster. So uh, there'll be an opportunity in a few years' time for photographers to take images showing Pluto passing the globular cluster itself. So that'll be something to look forward to. But as I say, it's a challenge. <laughs> so, But we like challenges, don't we? You know, what... Well,
0: it's one of the best ways to learn i find is is stretching yourself a bit so there's there seems to be a good mix this month there's quite a few things that you just need your your naked eyes and to know when and where to look um some which require a bit more thought and, and and planning and some which are really pushing challenges so whatever kind of level you are listeners hopefully there's something in there that you will be able to see um, and again, just in summary, that was Pluto it will be at opposition on the 17th of July. So if you really fancy pushing yourself, that's the one that you might want to try out for. And we've talked a lot about the planets in this episode. It's been it's very much been a planetary parade. You can tell that they're all up in the night sky to them this month. Um, but are there any other things that our, our listeners might want to
1: keep an eye out for? Well, enough, we've got one final event with Neptune, because... I like it when they pass... Stars that are a similar brightness, sort of thing. Because uh, so on the sort of like from around about the 11th to the 18th, Neptune passes uh, a similar magnitude star. Neptune's magnitude 7.8, but uh, the star Hipparchus 116402 is magnitude 7.2. 7.2. Uh, so it's a little bit brighter. So uh, it's worth, I always like it because you've got the clockwork motion. We see this with the moon, don't we? The moon passing the planets gives us a sense of the motion of the solar system. But we can do it through a telescope as well by watching Neptune slide past uh, a similar brightness or slightly brighter star in this case. So from the 11th to the 18th, keep an eye on Neptune and watch it go past this particular star. It's, it's quite easy this time to find Neptune because Neptune lies below the circle of Pisces. So it's not often you get something nice and easy. And also it's beginning to enter a diamond-shaped group of stars which over the next few months it passes through. So that's another thing to actually look out for. Um, We've got the moon passing Jupiter and Saturn on the 24th and 25th as well. So they're they're obviously... But the thing about the moon on the 24th is it's full sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that sort of implies that Saturn won't be long before it's actually at opposition, uh, which it will be actually on the 2nd of August. So we're getting close to that sort of thing. We're only like a week away from Saturn at opposition. So that's why it's close to the full moon position as well. But, uh, you know, we we still have... Um, and I've, I've only seen a brief display because, again, I've had a lot of clouds on the horizon. It's been frustrating. I've been lots of friends reporting they're seeing noctilucent clouds uh, mm-hmm. basically from the northwest through to the northeast during the course of the night. So I've had a brief glimpse of seeing them sort of thing, but, uh, you know, they are up and these are the night shining clouds that are so high up they're still in direct sunlight. So where normal clouds are low down and are not being illuminated by the sun so they look dark, these are ethereal, shiny, silvery-blue clouds uh, that can have all sorts of intricate shapes sort of thing. I've never forgotten the one that looked like a dolphin to me <laughs> a few years ago. It's just, it's just weird. It, it was gorgeous, actually, sort of thing, you know. It was, it was so mesmerizing to watch it. And sometimes there's quite a lot of intricate structure and it's changing quite fast. And sometimes it's very diffuse structure and it seems to sort of like just stay there sort of thing and then fade away so some displays are it's a bit like aurora sometimes they they spring up they get a brief display and then they fade away completely other times they're visible all night so noctilucent clouds keep looking north the night shining clouds uh, they are certainly something to behold i have to say
0: mm-hmm. i've i've managed to see them once
1: Yay. <laughs> and it was very
0: briefly um and and i would have like they are quite easy Well, the ones I saw anyway were were, were quite easy to mistake for for regular clouds, but I fortunately had someone beside me who was able to point them out and tell me what they are. So it certainly sounds like there's no shortage of things to see in this month's night sky. There are planets galore. There's a veritable planetary parade going on from the 8th to the 20th of July. You'll be able to see all of the planets over the course of the night. Uh, On the 17th of July, you'll even be able to add Pluto to that as well. Um, So keep an eye out for that. Uh, Throughout the month, keep an eye out for noctilucent or night shining clouds. And if you want to have an idea about what those look like, then be sure to visit our website, www.skyatnightmagazine.com, where we have guides on how to observe them and also lots of pictures to make sure that you know what it is that you're looking for. Another one to look out for on the 6th of July, the crescent moon will be next to the Pleiades. So if you fancy an early start in the morning, 3 a.m., you can see the two rise together and track their way across the night sky. If you want to find out even more about any of these spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky this month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything that's worth looking up for in July 2021. Whether you like to look at the moon or the planets, whether you use binoculars, telescopes or neither, our sky has got you covered with detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Brittany Colley. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skynightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify.